As Mark indicated a few minutes ago, we are beginning a new series of messages today that we call Detour. It's, it's really designed to acknowledge the reality that if we're honest with ourselves, most of us are control freaks. Uh, we, we like to be in charge. Uh, we know the way that not only our lives should run, but we, quite frankly, we could run the world a lot better if God would just let us run the world. You know, we kind of plan our work and work our plan, and occasionally, like mm, about three times a day, we find that things aren't working out the way we thought they would, and we've got to come up with or, or we've got to fall in line with kind of a plan B. We know all about detours here in Atlanta after that uh, incredible collapse of I-85, and what was it the next week when it collapsed, the next week I-20 buckled up. So nothing was working out right, and a lot of people were having to find some new ways to get from point A to point B. Sometimes those detours can lead to new discoveries, like the detour you were taking because your route didn't work out let you discover a new restaurant, and you started going in there, and you discovered you really kind of like that place, and you're going back more and more often, or you may have just found a quicker, shorter, easier way to get from home to work or from work to home. Now, the people who live on your detour route don't particularly appreciate it quite as much as you do. In fact, I know one guy who uses the, the app Waze, and um, he lives on what he calls a cut-through street. And every Friday afternoon at 5.30, he reports an accident on Waze in front of his house so that Waze then routes people away from his street. Detours can lead to new discoveries. You, knew, you find new ways to do new things. Some of you are experiencing a little bit of a detour, a little bit of a plan B today with this uh, juggle, this adjustment of our worship schedule this summer. Some of you are in a service that you're not ordinarily sitting in. Some of you found that you came in today and someone was sitting in your seat. It's okay. The kingdom of God will still move forward. Don't worry about it. I was thinking about detours and plan Bs, and it occurred to me that probably one of the most common plan B, one of the most common detours all of us experience at some point in life is a relational breakup. That's something that all of us experience at one time or another. Now, I want to give you a little uh, discussion exercise in the pews there. What percentage do you think of relationships, dating relationships, do you think end in a breakup? Now, I asked this question earlier this morning, and someone, Mark Brewer said, define dating. I said, Mark, if you have to define it, you're not doing it. <laughs> so what percentage of romantic dating relationships do you think at some time or another ends in a breakup? Discuss that. Let's see how good you do. Right, some of you are looking at me stone-faced like I hate to lose, so I'm not even going to guess. How many of you think it is less than 50%? Okay, nobody. How many of you think it's less than 75%? How many of you will raise your hands if I offer to give you money? Yeah, 85% of relationships 
will end in a breakup. Now, that's broad spectrum. You know, it's a lot of people. Some folks are breaking the odds more than others are, but 85% of relationships will end in a breakup. You know how, on average, how many people you have to date? Now, this is on average. How many people you have to date before you marry? You have to date 12 people on average before you find the one that you're going to marry. Now, I see what's happening. Some of you are looking at your spouse and you're going. You know, what, are you stuck on number 11? You know, there's still hope. There's still hope. It's not just dating relationships. It's not just romance in which we experience breakups and, and these uh, fractured relationships. Sometimes it happens at work. You know, you, you go into the office on Friday morning, you think you've been putting in a good week, you've been working hard, you've been doing a good job, and they give you a pink slip. You find that your business just broke up with you, or some of you have found a new position, and you go in and you tell your boss, hey, basically, I'm breaking up with you. I found a new job. This is my two weeks' notice. And sometimes it's not romance. Sometimes it's not work. Sometimes it's friendships. Sometimes the friends that we thought we were going to have for the rest of our lives end up not being our friends. Like a friend of mine said several years ago, we were at breakfast and he pulled out his new BlackBerry and BlackBerry had moved from the keyboard to the virtual keyboard. And I had the old school BlackBerry and, and he pulled his phone out and I said, hey, do you like that? He said, I won't be your friend anymore. He didn't like the new BlackBerry. We're still friends to this day, by the way. I want to share with you a story from the Bible about a friendship that went through a breakup. 15th chapter of the book of Acts, beginning to read at verse 36. Listen with me to the Word of God. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the Word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul didn't think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and hadn't continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. May the same Holy Spirit who inspired the writing and preservation of these words inspire them for our understanding as well. You know, on the surface, this sounds like a tragedy. Two guys who have known one another, have been friends with one another, have worked together, have a sharp disagreement and split waves and don't spend time with one another again. For the record, from this point forward, Barnabas does not appear on the pages of Scripture. You never hear from him again. Now, you may think, well, okay, what's the big deal? But, so let me give you the background to this story. In the book of Acts, as the church is beginning to emerge and grow, Barnabas is mentioned in the fourth chapter really as kind of just a face in the crowd, someone that, that is pointed out in Scripture. 
In the ninth chapter of the book of Acts, you'll remember Paul goes through that Damascus Road experience, and he's been persecuting Christians and arresting them and throwing them in jail, and on the road to Damascus to do that very thing, he has an experience with the risen Christ, and and it completely turns his life around. He realizes that this Christ that he has been trying to arrest people about really is the Messiah. When he makes his way back to Jerusalem, he tries to join the disciples and say, hey, I'm one of you now. They don't want to have anything to do with him because they know the stories about him. He's the guy that has been arresting the followers of Jesus and throwing them in jail. They think he's a spy. He just wants to get inside and find out who and where the disciples are so he can arrest them and throw them in jail. They don't want to have anything to do with him until Barnabas comes along, takes him under his wing, listens to him, and then takes him to James, who was leading the church in Jerusalem at the time, and and vouches for him, and virtually wins Paul's acceptance in the Jerusalem community. Shortly after that, Paul heads northeast to go home to Tarsus. A couple of chapters later, Barnabas has moved from being a face in the crowd to the person who wins Paul's acceptance in Jerusalem to now being kind of a theologian in residence. The disciples learn that up north in Antioch, a group of people have started following Jesus. So then they send Barnabas to Antioch. He gets there and sees what a good thing is going on. He goes to Tarsus and gets Saul, brings him back to Antioch, and the two of them, Saul will later be known as Paul, work side by side together there in Antioch, helping the church to grow. And it's in Antioch that the two of them are engaged in work when it feels like the Holy Spirit calls the two of them to launch a missionary journey. If you know your Bible history, you think about Paul's three missionary journeys. The first one really began as Barnabas and Paul's journey. They take John Mark, they sail away from uh, Palestine, from Israel, they move up, they make landfall in what is today modern-day Turkey. Once they make landfall, John Mark decides to go back to Jerusalem. That's what Paul is referencing when he says that John Mark deserted them. He doesn't continue on the work. He goes back to Jerusalem. Barnabas and Saul, who is now going by the name of Paul, move around in the region and start churches and lead people to faith in Christ. At the end of that journey, they make their way back to Antioch, and they're kind of reporting back to the home church how things have gone. They're telling them about the ways that Gentiles have responded to the good news of Jesus Christ. And then people come from Jerusalem, and, and this is paraphrased according to Chuck, basically say, look, if you want to be a Christian, you've got to be a Jew, and then you can be a Christian. And there's this conflict that emerges. They don't understand how to settle the disagreement. So Barnabas and Paul and some others go to Jerusalem in the 15th chapter of the book of Acts. They hash this out, and they decide that, no, you don't have to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. You can go from being a Gentile to following Jesus. You don't have to jump through another hoop. And it's at that point that Paul says to Barnabas, let's go back and and visit those churches that we started. Let's go back and and see those folks that we met, that we led them to Christ, and see how they're doing and encourage them, and, and maybe we'll start some other churches as well. Barnabas says, great idea. Hey, let's take John Mark again like we did last time. Paul says, Uh, No, mm -mm. no, I I don't feel good about that. Barnabas says, what's the big deal? 
Paul says, Barnabas says, come on, you know, let's, let's take John Mark. He's a young guy. He could use some encouragement. Paul said, look, he's a quitter. That's the bottom line. He's a quitter. He went with us and he bailed out on us. He deserted us, went running home to mama. I'm not taking him with me. I don't need quitters. The mission is too important. Barnabas says, look, he's a young guy. We can encourage him. Let's take him along. Paul said, he's not going with me. Barnabas says, you don't understand. He's my cousin. Paul said, I don't care who he is. Barnabas says, look, his mother and my mother are sisters. And Paul said, I don't care who his mama is. He's not going with me. Barnabas says, well, he's going with me. Paul said, he's not going with me. Barnabas says, yes, he is. Paul said, no, he's not. Barnabas says, he's going with me. Paul says, he's not going with me. And if he's going with you, you're not going with me. Barnabas says, Fine, I never liked you in the first place. Paul said, I don't like the way you comb your hair. Get out of my sight. Get lost. Drop dead. Go somewhere else. Go to Cyprus. And the two of them never speak again. Now, it may not be that they never speak again. But this missionary pair that has started churches, that has led people to Christ, that has made such a difference, splits. And Barnabas never appears on the pages of Scripture again. Nobody likes a breakup. We point fingers, we call names, we say things we don't mean and that we really wish we hadn't said. And frankly, folks, right now, you and I are in a season of breakups, if you think about it. Students have just left one school to go to middle school or middle school to go to high school or high school to go to college. They're breaking up with that school that they've known so well. Everything that was so familiar, they're walking away from. Students who have been dating one another are going to different schools in different states and they're saying, oh, I'll love you forever. I'll be faithful to you forever. By the second football game, they're not talking to each other anymore. It's just reality. Remember, 85% of relationships end in a breakup. You have to date 12 people. So if you're in high school and you think this is the one forever, you got about 10 more to go through before you find the right one. Most relationships, most romantic relationships break up in November or January. I don't know what to get her for Christmas. So it's easier to just break up. Or it's time for a new start. January 1, this relationship's over. Look at how people break up in America today. We've got a chart that shows you how folks break up. Now, if you look at that chart, the the pink line, the pink bar is women. The blue bar is men. The black bar is the two of them combined. The vast majority of people break up or break off a relationship with a face-to-face, in-person talk. Women are more likely than men to generate the face-to-face talk. But if you look at the one next to that with a telephone call, men are more likely than women to terminate the relationship by generating a telephone call, probably hoping that she doesn't answer the phone and he can leave a voicemail. Text messaging is next. Uh, We're pretty even, men and women. Hey, been nice knowing you. Don't ever want to see you again. 
enjoy your life. So it all kind of pans out that way. But then uh, if you look at that chart, it's interesting to me, the fourth from the right moved away. And women are more likely than men to relocate to another state to get away from him, just to get as far, you know, this isn't working out right. I think I'll move to Arizona. That makes Saturday night dates just really awkward. So how do people break up? Do you really move away to end a relationship? If you think about the relationships you've had, whether it was romantic or work or friendships, when there was a breakup, when some kind of a fracture, you think about it, and if you took a long view of life towards those relationships, you realize that by the grace of God, sometimes those breakups can become breakthroughs. Let me, let me give you a for instance. A number of years ago, many years ago, I was living in Dallas, Texas. I was interning in a church there, and I'd met this young woman, uh, and we'd gone out a few times. We'd started dating, and uh, as May gave way to June, and I began to look at the calendar and realized that in August, I was leaving Dallas and moving back to Atlanta to finish seminary. I started thinking, this is not the smartest thing I've ever done for myself to run the risk of developing an emotional bond with this person and move halfway across the country. And so these wheels are turning in my mind as she tells me that she's got to leave and drive uh, to the southeast to go visit family and she'll be back in a week or 10 days or two weeks or something like this. This was before Al Gore had invented the internet. There was no email. Uh, cell phones hadn't been conceived of yet. So it was like, okay, hey, have a great trip. You know, enjoy your family. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. And so I'm back in Dallas thinking about this and thinking, this is not smart. You know, if you get emotionally involved with this woman and then you move halfway across the country, you're just going to rip your heart out and it'll, it'll ruin you. But to show you what kind of a twisted, demented person I am, I thought, you know, if that happens, despite the emotional pain I will experience, I believe I'll grow through it. So I'm going to stay in this relationship. Now, what I didn't know was that as she was driving from Texas east to visit family, she's having this same conversation with herself. And she decides that this is ridiculous. This guy is leaving in a couple of months. He's going back to Atlanta. I'm never going to see him again. Why do I want to date this guy? I'm, there's nothing to come of this. So th this, it's, it's over. This relationship just ended. We, we, I just broke up with him. He doesn't know it yet, but it's over. While she's over this way, she goes down on the Florida Gulf Coast. And early one morning, she gets up and she goes down on the beach and she's having her private time alone with God. She's reading scripture and saying her prayers. And she said it was one of the few times in her life she has ever felt that God walked up and spoke to her. She said sitting there on the beach, it was as if she heard an audible voice say, I brought him into your life for a reason. Trust me. So she decides that despite the fact that she broke up with me a couple of days ago, we're now back together. 
And some time after that, she drives back to Dallas and she gets back in town. She calls me, says she's in town. So I said, hey, let me come get you. Let's go get some ice cream. So I remember distinctly sitting at Swinson's Ice Cream Parlor. Any of you remember Swinson's Ice Cream Parlor? We're sitting in Swinson's Ice Cream Parlor. I'm sitting there eating my ice cream and she's telling me that she broke up with me, but it's okay because we're back together now. And just to close the loop on it all, yesterday was the 35th anniversary of the first date I ever had with Lib. So we might make it yet, you know. Sometimes breakups can lead to breakthroughs. Paul breaking up with Barnabas over John Mark seems awfully harsh that he didn't give John Mark another chance. But interestingly enough, in the, the New Testament word that, is, that Luke uses when he writes about this story, he says that Paul didn't want to take John Mark because he had deserted them in Pamphylia. Now that sounds like they were going this way and he went another direction. But if you get into the nuance of the word that is translated deserted, it literally has a theological meaning to it. It it basically means a shift in belief or apostasy. In other words, Paul didn't want to continue with John Mark because he felt that John Mark lost his faith in Christ and went home to Jerusalem. He felt that John Mark's lack of faith, his walking away from the faith, as it were, would be a danger to the mission. And so he says he's not going to have anything to do with him. Barnabas says he's going with me, and they said, nice knowing you. I mean, it's like when Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin split up. It didn't make sense. But look at the long-term outcome of this breakup. Paul takes Silas, goes up through Syria and Cilicia, and and ultimately goes on two other missionary journeys throughout Asia Minor, what you and I know as Turkey, and into Greece, and starts churches and leads hundreds and thousands of people to faith in Christ. Barnabas takes John Mark, and it looks like he disappears when he gets to to, uh, Cyprus. And while Barnabas might disappear from the pages of Scripture, John Mark does not. John Mark, scholars are convinced, is the author of the Gospel of Mark. Mark was the first gospel of any of the four gospels that was written. Matthew and Luke, when they wrote their gospels, basically, scholars are convinced, used Mark as the outline for their gospel. Without Barnabas taking John Mark to Cyprus, we may not have the Gospel of Mark. Without the Gospel of Mark, we may not have the framework for Matthew and Luke. Luke, you will remember, is the author not only of the Gospel of Luke, but also the book of Acts. He was a product of Paul's ministry. Had it not been for Barnabas's influence in Paul, we may not have Luke. And Without Paul and without Barnabas's influence in Paul's life, we wouldn't have had the missionary journeys. We wouldn't have the letters that he wrote to the churches that he started. So it's arguable for me to say that without Barnabas, you wouldn't have the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke. We wouldn't have the book of Acts. We wouldn't have Paul's letters. And quite frankly, friends, 
you and I might not be here today. In part because Barnabas and Paul split up. Now, while Barnabas disappears from the pages of Scripture, sometimes breakups become breakthroughs, remember? John Mark reappears. In fact, in three places in Paul's letters, he references him. In Colossians 4.10, he says this, My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Somehow, obviously, Paul and John Mark had mended fences, mended their ways. In his letter to Philemon, Paul says, so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. It's at the end of the letter where he's passing along greetings from other people. Then in 2 Timothy 4, verse 11, as Paul is wrapping the letter up, he says, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is useful to me in my ministry. Somehow, the break up between Paul and Barnabas, between Paul and John Mark, became a breakthrough, maybe in John Mark's life, maybe in John Mark's faith. You know, it seems to me one of the simple things that jump out to us from these, this story is, is that you and I need to take a long-term view not only towards our lives, but also a, a deep trust in God and His providence and His sovereignty. The Lord knows far better than the end of our nose. When a job ends, when a romance breaks up, when a friendship fractures, we're devastated. We think it's the end of the world. But we who trust in God believe that God has a long-term view interest in and care for our lives. We need to have a long view of what God is going to do in us and through us. And the, the other thing that I want to point out is John Mark's desertion. Maybe he broke up with Jesus, as it were. Maybe he did have some kind of a crisis of faith. Maybe he did fall out of belief and, and say, this doesn't work for me any longer. I'm going back home to Jerusalem and, and get back in the family business. But somewhere along the way, he rediscovered his faith in Christ, so much so that he wrote the gospel to tell the world the story of Jesus. So much so that Paul saw him as a great help in his ministry. You may have experienced a breakup with Jesus at some point in your life. You may have thought, I don't know about this anymore. I'm not so sure about this. May have been someone that was a friend of yours. It may have been someone in your family who said, I just don't believe. They break up with Jesus. But one of the things we learn from this is that if we break up with Jesus, that doesn't necessarily mean that he breaks up with us. A break up of our faith sometimes in the long view of God leads to a breakthrough in our relationship with the risen Lord. He will never break up with you 
Others might, others will. Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. Let us pray. God, thank you for the assurance that you are a true constant in our lives. Even as and when the shifting sands of relationships move, when romances end, friendships fracture, jobs change or end, thank you that you hold on to us. Even if we get angry, even if we walk away, you pursue us and you hold on to us and you use us. May we trust in you for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.